You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast. Today is going to be an epic one. I'll tell you what, when I heard Renee Helmer's story, I was literally just ground struck. So Renee Helmer is the president of Helmer Ops, which originally was the largest directional drilling company for 25 years in the Gulf of Mexico until some monumental changes happened during COVID where Renee really had to change the company. But on top of that, Renee started out actually as a teacher, and then she went into oil field sales as one of the first women in the oil field. And then following that for 18 years, she was a stay-at-home mom and then came back in the oil field and took over. I just cannot wait to get into your story, Renee, and just share with everybody all the things that you went through and also the hardships that you had during this time. Thank you, Renee, for being here. I'm very, very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So let's get straight into your story so we can find out more about it. As Jamie mentioned, it's all over the place. You've done so much amazing things. So let's get straight into it so the listeners can get a little bit of your story because I'm sure this is like such a small snapshot of like everything that you've been through and been successful at the end of it. Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Farrell because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. So you're originally from Thibodeau, Louisiana. Your mother was an English teacher and your father worked on pipelines as a welder. Your parents, you mentioned, were a huge inspiration for you and just great role models as you were growing up. And they made you start working at a young age, which, you know, instilled really good work ethic. And like Jamie said, after 18 years of staying home, you went straight back to work. So it's almost like that work ethic never really left you. You did beauty pageants, which you said prepared you for the future. And then you just had such a great you know, childhood. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, childhood. Being raised in Thibodeau, Louisiana on Bayou Lafouche was, yeah, absolutely great. It was a small town with a big heart and a lot of oil and gas industry as well, because you had to drive down Highway 1 or or Highway 308, you know, to get to Grand Isle, Louisiana on Venice, Louisiana, which they say is the end of the world. You know, we also have right there by Terrebonne Parish where, you know, Homa had a big industry and a port where, so there was oil and gas trucks up and down. And dad worked for Transco Continental for 52 years. And at that time you could take children to the workplace And so dad would, during the summertime, when he would go and he was building a pipeline in Pennsylvania, mom and I, because she was a school teacher, we would go on road trips to go visit dad on his website and go see them building these pipelines, which now, you know, are such a topic of conversation for so many reasons. But, you know, rain or shine, 
those welders were in those ditches, welding those pipelines and putting them together. In fact, there's an instrument called a piggy, which is a big, heavy ball of different sizes that would go through the pipelines before they would put gas through to clean them out. Well, one of those big, heavy, heavy rubber balls was in my backyard for a long time. And my brothers <laughs> used to use it as competition, strongman competition to see who could throw it the farthest. <laughs> How fun. You know, you mentioned that you were in pageants, which I can only imagine being young and, you know, being surrounded by other beautiful, like, girls and you had to work on your presentation skills and your interview skills that had to be kind of overwhelming being so young and being thrown into that, but it really prepared you, you know, for later in life. Can you talk about that time? Yes. So, and you're right, as you got up, so first of all, it just started as fun being a festival queen. And, you know, I love being the center of attention. I'm just going to go ahead and own that. And (laughs) um, (laughs) so, you know, being the festival queen, but then later on, you know, young, but then later on, you know, as you stepped up, you know, to higher titles and more significant titles, you know, it was like, this is training for something bigger. And, you know, in that industry, it's hard not to compare yourself to the other beautiful, you know, conversational, intelligent ladies all around you. But at the same time, it's so funny because now I see on LinkedIn, people are like, oh, you need a brand, you need a brand. Well, back then we were actually branding ourselves, you know, as to, you know, which subject matter, you know, and which, you know, special agency or entity that we wanted to represent. What was our scorecard? What was our scorecard going to reflect about us individually? Because you know what? We were all beautiful. We were all smart. We were all well-spoken, but what set you apart at that point in time? Mm. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you actually decided to become a nurse and that's kind of what you did in school, but you realized you were way too social and I'm sure nursing must be actually a very difficult career path. I can't only imagine just being stuck in a hospital all day, you know, treating people who need help. So you decided to actually become a school teacher and then, yeah, tell us a little bit about, you know, starting in nursing, deciding that didn't work out for you going into teaching, but then after teaching, you went to oil field sales. So run us through that. So yes, so I was in at UL, UL Lafayette, Louisiana in nursing. It has, it still has a wonderful nursing program. And when we got to clinic, and I loved the human body and I love science. And when it got to clinicals though, you know, you were young, you were 19 years old and that was like a job in school. And I was like, I was still in a sorority. I still, you know, was very much a part of student government and I would have had to give all of that up because I needed to study, I guess, more than some people. And I just wasn't ready to do that. And it was a pivotal point in my life. And I'm like, I need to make another decision. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I come from a legacy of teachers. My mom was a teacher for 50 years and her mother was a teacher back when teachers, she said, I asked her, I'm at Pearl. I said, what was your education like? She goes, Asha, we took a crash course for six weeks at LSU. And when she was a teacher, it was a one-room school house. They could not be married, much less be pregnant on campus. And if they were in a horse and buggy, they could only be driven by their father, their brother, or a relative. Wow. It was a very, very upstanding, honorable position. And you had to hold true to a very, very high dignity level. Wow. Wow. So you decided to become a teacher and kind of follow in that footsteps? It was just in my blood. I had been teaching swimming lessons since I was 15 years old and lifeguarding. You know, I taught aerobics. I mean, I was just about, I was a performer, whether it's teaching science, whether it's teaching 
water aerobics, whether it was teaching swimming lessons. And so, yeah, I ended up finishing that degree in three semesters, taking 21 hours because I was used to those study habits and it was the subject matter was less demanding. And it was just, again, in my blood. I never regretted the decision to start in nursing because I learned so much. And so when I ended up teaching science and so learning the body, the human body is a simple machine, right? So I'm teaching, you know, some biology because I'm teaching middle school. I'm teaching some biology and simple science, simple machines, but also ecosystems, which well prepared me, you know, to transition into the oil and gas industry because Mm. I understood the fundamentals of Mother Earth. Mm. So what was really interesting was when we were talking about this, you were very close with a lot of your students' parents. And so when you decided to move industries, you actually had like seven job offers. And then that's when you decided like, you know what, I'm going to go work for an oil field sales company. And then that's when your oil field sales career started. And I remember you saying that your father actually told you something about working at a higher standard or something that really resonated with you. And that really set you apart from the other people in the industry. So I'd like to address both points that you just brought up. That was another pivotal moment in my life. So the second biggest pivotal moment in my life where I had made the decision to leave teaching. It was a very, very sad decision. I was scared. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I told my class and I told my classroom, I was like, Miss Miller is leaving teaching and I'm looking for a career. I told him that on a Monday. And on the Friday, I had seven job interviews in five different industries because they had gone home and and told their parents. And I had no idea that they valued me at that level and thought that highly of me. I really didn't. And it was very empowering. And it was a time when I was like, okay, yes, I can do this. All I knew was the classroom. That was the all world. You know, you go from elementary school to middle school, to high school, to college, to teaching. And it was like, oh my God. That's all you've ever known. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, and so they put me in Houston, in Houston, sales from New Orleans to Houston and calling on these big companies. And again, yes, because of my back, because of the pageantry background, I wasn't scared and the educational background. I wasn't scared to walk into those offices and say, Hey, I have this, you know, let me help you. I'm the best in the market. What so were you selling? selling or who I did you go work for? Whole drilling tools. Brent Milam and Ashley Lane took a leap of faith because yes, I was one of the first female business sales ladies in the industry. They were like, we want to make a change. We want to make it grow. And in three months, I was outselling their sales team. And some other business gentlemen took notice and they were like, let's do something. I'm like, let's do it. (laughs) And that's kind of always That's awesome. Yeah, that's always been. But okay, so what was the second? Oh, your father. Well, but just really quick, just this week, I had a phone call from Mr. Bo McKay. And he said, Miss Helmer, I'm not sure if you remember me, but you taught my brother and sister and you left Fatima the year right before the year I was going to be in your class. And he goes, and I always wanted to be in your class. I said, well, now we can work together in a different way. Oh, That's I love awesome. That. So sweet. And he goes, let's talk about Fatima. I was like, okay, let's talk about Fatima. <laughs> and it was a 35 minute conversation and just reminiscing. And it was so sweet. I loved it. And then dad. So yes. So my daddy, big, strongest man alive, you know, all the contests they had today, I'm sure daddy would have won them all. But you know, what comes with strength also came a very, very big heart. 
and he loved to work. He just, he loved to work. And at the end of the day, sit and look at what he had created. And he was very much a Renaissance man because from welding pipelines together, he became, you know, one of the first decorative welding people. And like I have trellises and barbecue pits and iron gates that, and bird feeders that surround my yard that were all built by my dad. And it's so special. But with that, we were sitting on the front porch one day and I was just like, oh, yes, dad, I went to New Orleans and, you know, I was in Texaco's office and then I went to Chevron's office and then I was in Houston and I was in Houston Explorations office and many, many of these different companies, ADTI. And he was like, I have no trouble getting into the door. I was probably bragging at the time. (laughs) And he was like, Renee. And I was like, and when he says it, you know, with that strong daddy voice and you're like, yes, sir, dad, and everything perks up and he goes, I better not find out you're just becoming a feather in one of them men's hats. It's like, yes, sir, daddy, nothing like that's going on. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) And now a little word from our sponsor, Technique FMC. Marcel, you know what I really appreciate about Technique FMC being one of our sponsors is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast, as many of you know, was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. This is important, you know, especially to our generation. Totally agree with you, Jamie. But beyond the DNI, they're also big into technology. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. They have four main priorities, energy transition, emerging materials, digital, and industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like SubC 2.0, iProduction, Gemini ROV system, and iComplete, go to techniquefmc.com. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think it has a lot to say where, for example, like you left schooling, you're obviously we're in the pageant world, you're a pretty lady, I can't only imagine when you were, you know, in your 20s, and like walking into all of these doors, and you're using it to your advantage. And I don't think that should be negative. But you were holding yourself to a higher standard, which shows from, you know, your family and knowing that your dad has those expectations of you. And you could be a great salesperson with a lot of high standards. You know, just to talk to female sales ladies of today, I see a lot going on on LinkedIn. And, you know, there's all colors of the rainbow. You know, I would love to do a shout out to some of these younger sales girls that says, you know what? Confidence is the sexiest thing you can put on. You know, you don't need to show your bosom to get into the office. Your smile and your intelligence and your sweet voice and your charm, it wins them over and they ask you to come back and teach them more. I love that. Be a teacher when you be a teacher. I think that's so important. And you really show that throughout your career. And, you know, I really want to go back to the point where you were riding high, a successful saleswoman. You started a new business that actually sold to Saber Drill. And then you met your husband, Mr. Helmer, who owned Helmer Directional. He made you, I remember when we were talking, you said you were the oil field queen. You went from running sales teams to being a stay-at-home mom who ran all the PTO events, scheduled all the parties, and you even hosted congressional events at your house. 
And then in 2015, which was 18 years later. So for 18 years, you were this queen riding high. You weren't in the workforce, but you were definitely, you know, doing all the things that like, you know, PTO moms would do, which is a lot of work for 18 years. And then Later, your husband was then diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and his company was on the verge of collapsing. Without hesitation, he came to you and he told you, Renee, I think, you know, things are not going as well. I don't know what to do. And within one week, you were in a car driving to Midland. And now you just started your sales career 18 years later. How did you make that decision so quickly, given the change that happened over that time? So building a business is the hardest thing I've ever done, but building a family is the greatest thing I've ever done. And your family comes first. And my husband needed me. He and his dad were a legacy in the industry, and they still deserve to be a legacy in the industry. And the Helmer name is going into its third generation. And we're proud of that. We're proud of the service that they provided and the legacy that they carried on. And my husband deserves to continue to be enjoy the light of that success. And I'm his team member, you know, and your vows are for better or for worse for sickness and in health. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to choose what the sickness is and you don't get to choose what the better is, but you do get to choose to on how you look at it and you can wallow in self-pity You can look at the negative every day or every day you can grab your partner's hand and count your blessings Yeah, because there's always more blessings. That's what you do. That's what you do for each other. Mm, That's That's amazing. Really, really love that you shared that because that is so true. So here you are 18 years later, you have three kids already. You've been a, you know, quote unquote, stay at home mom, even though you have helped him, you know, throughout the 18 years here and there, but now this business was like on your shoulders and it was time for you to, you know, put your big girl pants on and get back into the field, get back into the industry, get back into doing what you were doing prior, which is trying to get into people's offices. And tell us a little bit of how that was like, you almost had to like return on a part of your brain that was, you know, how do we redo this again? And not only again, but 18 years later, we're everything's changed, right? People text now, they don't go to, sometimes they don't even want to go to people's office. It's all via email. People don't like picking up their phones anymore. It's all about social media, LinkedIn. Was that a shock for you? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Very, very, very much so. I was very protected those 18 years as a married woman. So I reached out to some business owners that I knew here in Lafayette, asking them if they had salesmen. That was my first thought that came to mind, asking them if they had salesmen in Midland that could help me, that could give me some coaching, that could introduce me to people. And the answer was yes. The answer was yes. So yes, I'm driving to Midland by myself and I'm going to meet three salesmen from three different companies. I've never spoken to them on the phone. They've only communicated with me via text, which that game alone gave me an anxiety. I'm like, I want to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. To talk to you, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm driving to Midland. I'm like, okay, are they going to show up? You know, are their plans going to change? You know, I mean, it was so many questions, but they did show up. And the first place they took me was to Little Woodrow's in Midland, Texas. And I was like, 
this is interesting. <laughs> this is new. I mean, I'm used to the royal. This is where you make business. Worse, but yeah. Okay, we're at Little Woodruff's. <laughs> you know, and I walked in there and I was such a fish out of water and literally a fish out of water from South Louisiana to the desert. But they asked me what they were doing and I started sharing my story. And then, you know, with that, you know, and they embraced it. They were like, okay, what can we do to help? And I started getting some motor rentals, started doing some surface work. And then, you know, it ended up, you know, asking a couple of people to help me on commission and they were willing to help me and they helped me grow it. But then the next phase was, you know, then that was in November and then it's in the peak of hunting season and then fishing season. And I'm like, okay, wait, I feel like I'm losing ground now because I'm not taking you hunting. I'm not taking you fishing. It's I'm not doing it, but I can cook. I can cook. Yeah. And I'm a good Cajun cook. And I love hosting events and parties. That's what I've been doing. So I did. I started hosting a monthly cookout at my house, sometimes teamed up with some other people from Louisiana, other companies from Louisiana, and sometimes on my own. And that became a huge success. And it brought me to become friends with some of the people there in Midland. And then I was awarded three rigs, three jobs. I was so excited. I felt so empowered. Richard and I, you know, were giving thanks and saying, okay, we finally may get over the hump and be able to rescue Helmer Directional. But then COVID hit. Yeah. One thing I want to mention is just something that's so great about our industry is just how family oriented we are. Mm -hmm. You can come from really any background, you know, after sitting and being home for 18 years or coming from a completely different industry or not even having, you know, you, you can be anyone in this industry will welcome you. If you are willing to work hard, you are willing to say like, I'm not going to do hunting and fishing, but you can come over to my house and I'm going to cook and I'm going to throw these cool get togethers. And it's really like, I just love that story and that you were awarded three rigs and it's really all about relationships. So no matter even now with social media and that people are only texting, yes, a lot of things may have changed, but at the end of the day, the core has always been relationships. And if you can win people's trust and they like you and you have a great product and a service, you know, you have a winning chance. Yes. Renee, can you tell us really what happened during that time with COVID? Because, you know, your core was getting people together and these events, which of course, when COVID happened, that completely went away. Interaction was at a minimal. And then I know that really had an impact on your business. So how did y'all overcome that? Okay. So, so Helmer Ops, that's when I was like, what are we going to, you know, I was like, Richard, what are we going to do? And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. And I said, well, I might know because, you know, in the last two years of me running around, you know, some things have been brought to my attention. For example, minority owned companies in the oil and gas industry get some benefits, right? And we have relationships. I've always fallen back on relationships. We have a 56 year old name. And I said, I'm going to open Helmer Oilfield Products and Services, and it's shortened to Helmer Hops. And I'm just going to network myself as a salesperson because while drilling stopped, production still there. I know some of those people. I know VP of operations. They're emailing me. I can do something. We can't stop. We just can't stop. And so he said, okay, so we formed the business. It's a little LLC. It's me. And in networking and in people checking on each other, hey, how's Helmer doing? Hey, how this is doing? Because one of the people that networked with me was Jody Bakke, and he has a strategic asset monetizing company. And he said, Renee, 
are you going to Midland? And I said, well, okay, no, not right now, but I'm not afraid to travel. You know, I'll just use the precautions that I'm not afraid to travel and I'll drive. And he goes, because if you go to Midland, you will see all of these service companies' yards stacked with their equipment. And everybody's trying to survive right now. And some people may be wanting to, again, monetize their assets. So I became the bloodhound from New Orleans to New Mexico, driving from I-10 to I-20, literally with the big hair and the mask, (laughs) knocking on glass doors for service companies with a big post-it sign that said, do not enter. You know, we're not seeing anybody and talking to them through the glass saying, do you see all your equipment back there? You know, the trucking, the yellow iron, the flow back equipment, we can buy it. We have the money to buy it. And we have people that want to sell it, not at auction prices, at true value prices, maybe a little bit lower, but better than auction prices. And so you know, after the first and second level of sales, Jody would come to Midland to meet me. He would close the deal and that profit kept us going for a little while. And that was the very beginning of Helmer Ops. Wow. And then, yeah, yeah. It's amazing that your tenacity to continue to keep going. I think that that is just something that's really ingrained in you and you see it throughout your whole story. And I do want to go back to the point that during this time, you know, it's not like everything was hunky-dory, grandy, and great at home as well. You mentioned that you were a helicopter parent and you started working again. Obviously you're going to Midland, you're driving all the time and your oldest son started kind of acting out as kids usually do. And I feel like a lot of parents struggle with this. They struggle with what are they going to do with their children when they're young? And then when they get older and they have their own opinions and things start happening and then you're not there, you're struggling with like, Oh my God, how do I discipline? And how do I show my child that, you know, I'm still here and I want to support them. But you talked about this and you talked about the struggle, but you ended up actually having your son open up to you. Can you share with us about the third level of parenting that you mentioned when you and I spoke? So Yeah. So in one of the pearls in journaling and as a parent, the journey as a parent, one of the pearls that I came across was there's three levels of parenting. The first level of parenting is you are their protector. You do hover. You say the stove is hot. Don't touch, slap their hand, show them that there's a negative consequences. You know, I remember walking down the sidewalk with John Henry and showing him the stop sign and saying, one, two, three, stop. This is what stopped it. We stop and we look both ways before we cross the street. You know, you know, all those simple levels of thing, you know, then of course it comes to doing your homework and being the best you can be at whatever chore it is. So that's zero to 10 approximately, depending on the maturity of your child. Then your second level of parenting is called you're their coach. Now you're like, okay, you know, I've taught you these fun fundamentals, you know, so now we're going to my boys played baseball and football and track and wrestling. They were athletes, but I'll use the baseball analogy. You looked at the third strike. So now you're going to run the bases. That second level of parenting where you're coaching them, you're not demeaning them. You're saying, okay, this is, but you also giving them praise too when they do do it right. Right. Which sometimes I wish I would have given them more praise, but at the same time, Then the third level of parenting is called counselor, can be called counselor. And that level of parenting kind of starts at 17, 18, 19. And it's the most difficult. It is a lot of these parents with two and three and four year olds think that's the most difficult. I would go back there in a heartbeat. This time was the most difficult because I knew I raised them right. 
I knew I taught them right. I prayed with them. We prayed the rosary. We are a Catholic family. And their decisions were their own. So the trick about being on this third level of parenting and being a counselor is you're their counselor when they ask you to be their counselor. Because mm-hmm. if you start throwing information at them and corrections at them and wisdom at them and they're closed, their resentment grows. But as being a Christian family and as being a Christian mom, Richard had been away all those years and I was the boy's you know, go-to parent and strength at that time. The beauty, the hurt and scaredness and sadness of me being away from home also allowed me to see the beauty of Richard, their father being at home. Mm-hmm. And these 17 and 18 and 19 year old boys needed their dad. And while I was in struggle mode, we were all in struggle mode. The beauty is the closest that my boys have built with their dad over the last three to four years. Mm. That's so special. We actually had someone come on the podcast as well and mention how COVID brought his relationship with his daughter the closest it had ever been. And I think a lot of people listening who you know, work a lot or who have higher positions because they're either owners or entrepreneurs or C-level executives... I mean, as much as you want to spend a lot of time with your family, you don't have that much time compared to everybody else who doesn't have these big high expectation roles. And during COVID, it was really, it was like the first time people didn't get on a plane for six months. It was the first time they didn't have to leave the house. And it built up a lot of relationships, like you mentioned. And I think that was really, it was like a switch. It was your turn to go out and work and then they can spend some time with their family, with their dad. We wanted to talk, one of the last questions was, you have such an incredible story from young girl in Louisiana to trying out nursing, switching her path into teaching, doing teaching, randomly getting a job in the oil field, working in the oil field, then staying home for 18 years, which is a lot of work. You know, I think sometimes people think staying at home is easier, but we've always heard that it's like having three full-time jobs. So, you know, stay-at-home moms, they do a lot and they hold the whole household. Like you mentioned, your husband was out. So you had to take care of everything. And then, you know, with your husband's diagnosis, you having to just step up and drop everything and go rescue this business. And then obviously with the struggles that you went through and then COVID, how did you manage this? Did you like, this seemed like the darkest time in your life where your husband gets sick, then COVID hits and your business is hurting. How did you get through that? Or do you have any advice for anyone who's going through something similar? See guys, I mean, I cannot go through life without faith, right? So yes, I'm driving to Midland, screaming at God through the windshield. Yes, I'm doing that. Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I'm sad. Yes, I'm anxious. And that's what builds closeness with God, right? Yes, I'm shaking my fist at him. I'm telling you, we have some things to talk about when I get to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm telling him that, but... At the same time, you close your day. If there's any, you close your day giving thanks. Because if we live in a world of pain, we will stay in a world of pain. If we live in a world of love, we promote a world of love. So honestly, y'all, it was my face. But the other thing it was, was my mother's prayers. Our mothers and grandmothers pray for us every day. And I can't wait to be in that role. But my mother would send me inspirational messages every day. And so would my husband. So family is your support system. And then there are several 
salespeople that I encountered that I have become friends with and they become your family too. We kind of say friends and family, family, yeah. that's a Mark LaCour introduction word to me. And, you know, I wish I could be at the Oscars and give a list of the people that kept me going and believed in me when I needed that kick in the butt to continue believing in myself. I'm so impressed with your story and the struggle that you went through and how you overcame it and where you're at today with the business is just absolutely amazing. And we're really happy that you spent the time with us today to just go over, you know, it's just such a long history of what you have done. And I know within the time in the podcast, it's hard to cover it all, but you did a great job and it's just really inspiring to see where you came today. You know, we're really happy you came on, but lastly, you know, what is next for Helmer? Because I know that you went through closing out the business and restarting Helmer Ops. And so what does that future look like for you? So I'm very excited to say that during my networking, I spent a lot of time researching new technology. And so Helmer Ops is in three lanes. We have new technology on the drilling side, but also on the production side, where we are a service and solutions company. And my greatest gift is networking and bringing the perfect service companies together to for your solutions. So I currently have a new transmission for downhole mud motors. We've been getting run data. It's been in the hole for the last few months. So we've been collecting run data and building charts and diagrams on that now. And I'm about to go start calling on my late, late competition, which is directional drilling companies to try to help them be better companies and have a better product should they so need it. And then I've also gotten into the ESG space, the environmental space, you know, flaring is such, they're coming down hard on the flare gas regulations. So again, I am the turnkey company for you to come to with your flare gas needs. I have the equipment to capture the flare gas, convert it to electricity. I can clean it. It doesn't matter how wet or how sour it is. I have put together all of those products. And the end product is, of course, kilowatt or megawatt electricity to be used on location that can be sold back to the grid, which we have relationships with some of the co-ops, particularly in West Texas and South Texas, or we have relationships with two Bitcoin mining companies and they would to do a gas exchange to use it, the energy to mine for the miners. So I am really, really excited about I have three projects going right now. And I have four projects in the making. You're amazing. Yeah. I'm like shocked. I'm like, wait, wait, okay. we went I'm from, sold. No, but like you went from like being home for 18 years to like being worried about people text messaging you to now you're involved in Bitcoin. Like <laughs> what just happened? You know, that's incredible. Like you were an entrepreneur at heart. I can only imagine like all the businesses you would have done if you would have started earlier. You'd own half of Midland by now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yes. Thank you, so, Renee. So thank much. Thank you so much, girls. Thank you. We so wish you the good. best of luck on your new endeavors and look forward to seeing all the posts on social media. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank I you. appreciate y'all so much. Thanks for thinking of me. Bye. Thank you.